0: thank you bill also thank you worship ministry for leading us this morning i would invite you to take your copy of the lord's word and turn to galatians chapter two galatians chapter two where we are going to be right where we were last week last week we talked about peter his life his testimony and oh how we love him so because so much of ourselves Today, we are going to actually deal with Peter's sin here. Uh, Last week, I mentioned that it was the fourth denial, essentially. Peter was denying the gospel. Paul accuses him of hypocrisy. And we'll revisit a couple of those comments here in a second. But I want to jump immediately into the text right after here I give you the title this morning. But the title is called People-Pleasing Leadership people-pleasing leadership. Now, the reason I just called it leadership and not just people-pleasing is because Peter is a leader amongst the people of God, a leader in the early church, arguably the leader of the early church um, once Jesus went to be at the right hand of the Father. And he struggled with people-pleasing, and we're going to see that here today. But it's not just leaders that struggle with People pleasing in the sense of church leaders. All of us struggle with people pleasing to some degree, and we're going to talk about that this morning. But if you have your copy of the Lord's Word, Galatians chapter 2 and verses 11 through 14. Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 through 14. As a reminder, in case you missed last week, Paul is talking about the issue of the Jews carrying on Jewish custom, but more than that, imposing it upon the Gentiles and saying, if you want to truly be a Christian, then you must keep Jewish law. And they dealt with it at the Jerusalem council, but now Peter is in Antioch, and there's a problem because Peter is going along with the error. So verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his faith face, because he stood condemned. That word just means in the wrong there. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, again, that's Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So the accusation here is hypocrisy. Paul is accusing Peter of being a hypocrite. Now, we know that Jesus accused the Pharisees of being a hypocrite, but the accusation of hypocrisy towards the Pharisees is different. The Pharisees were accused of being a hypocrite by Jesus, and he revealed their hypocritical hearts because. Externally, they were exhibiting one thing, while internally, their hearts were far from the truth. Essentially, they did not believe internally what they were practicing externally. Peter's is flipped. It's flipped. Peter believes the gospel internally, but because of cowardice, because of people-pleasing, he's not exhibiting it externally. It's a flip of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Paul knows that Peter believes the gospel. He already knows this. we read about that in Galatians chapter one, but Peter is living inconsistent with the gospel. And we're told the reason is, is that certain men came from James from the circumcision party. Now you say, wait a second, what do you mean circumcision party? Were there already factions in the early church? Yes, there were, and there still persist factions today, but there were factions in the early church, people that are more inclined to see the Bible this way, others more inclined to see it in another way. And the earliest faction was Jew versus Gentile, Jew versus Gentile. Now, we need to have a little bit of patience with these first century people, because for century upon century upon century, to join the people of God, you would have to keep Jewish custom and law like, and be faithful to the Old Testament. For instance, in the Old Testament, let's say you lived during the time of Ruth or the time of David, and you wanted to join the people of God as a Gentile. And there were many people who did. Uh, in fact, there are very famous people throughout the Jewish narrative that were Gentiles that joined the people of God. Uh, Ruth is a Gentile that joined the people of God. Another one we don't often think of, but Caleb of the tribe of Judah, his father was a Gentile. He was not, uh, you know, fully Jewish, so to speak, as a descendant of Abraham. So, and Caleb was one of the faithful of the 12 spies that went out to spy out the land. And we could go on and on and point out other Gentiles, Rahab, that came into the people of God. But in order to come into the people of God, you had to keep Jewish custom and law. But now the Jewish custom and law has met its fulfillment in Jesus. That that point, the point of circumcision, was getting to Jesus. And that now that Jesus has come, There is no longer any reason to keep the Jewish ceremonial law or impose it upon the Gentiles. So this is what's going on in the early church. So as a part of Jewish custom and law, is Jews were not allowed to eat with Gentiles or even be in the same room with a Gentile. Uh, Five years ago, hard to believe it's five years ago now, but my wife... Reminded me, it was five years ago last night that we went to the Holy Land with uh, Brother David Langerfeld. I said that wasn't five years ago; that was like three years ago. She said that that was 2019. I said, right, like three years ago. She said, it's 2024, and I was like, "Uh, okay, it just it just flies on by, right? But one of the things that happened in one of the 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 places we went, uh, I was getting on an elevator, and on the elevator there were some Orthodox Jewish men on the elevator, and as I Stepped on, they stepped off, and it was not the it was not their floor. And you know, a part of me like you do that to me in the South, I would have I would have smiled, but internally I'd have been like, hmm. (laughs) But in their practice, they're just keeping Jewish religious law. They can't be in the presence of Gentiles. and I knew what was going on there, and Pastor David had prepared us that things like that happen over there. But Imagine trying to do unity in the church of the living God, that we come and have a fellowship supper together, and then somebody comes in, and immediately people get up and walk and then sit in another place to put distance. Not exactly fellowship building. It's a problem. It's very difficult. And here's what happened. Peter, when he saw, notice he was eating with the Gentiles, until people came from Jerusalem, from James. And once the hardliners came from Jerusalem, Peter said, okay, well, I'm going to separate myself here because I just don't want to deal with it. Or maybe it was because I want to, you know, create favor with these from Jerusalem. Or maybe it was something else. We don't exactly know but essentially it was people-pleasing. So today it's people-pleasing leadership. So I'm a leader. um, I'm one of the leaders here at this church, and it is a temptation. I thought about calling this sermon Matt's Sin, but they put out the notes on Friday, and I didn't want y'all to get too excited uh, that I was going to give some kind of grand confession or something like that. But this is one, any leader, anyone who's been in leadership knows what this tension is like to be a people pleaser or a God pleaser. So the main statement is this, people pleasing leadership is the shortcut to nowhere. People pleasing leadership is the shortcut to nowhere. And now, let me give you one more word. There is a word that's used in the Old Testament. We'll just worry about its English form, but it's righteousness. Or to be righteous. What does that mean? What does the word righteous mean? The word righteous in Hebrew and in Greek carries with it this idea. When we hear it, we think of, oh, holiness, someone who is right with God. But there's aspects to righteousness in the word that's found in the Bible. It is being right with God on one side and also being right with others, being right with your fellow human beings. So when you talk about someone who is righteous, you're talking about someone who is seeking to not just to be in right relationship with God, but also to be in right relationship with their neighbors. So... The idea of righteousness is, is not just God-focused. It's because it's God-focused that I also am going to exhibit a heart for my neighbors as well. So let me give you a few things here this morning. First is, as a leader, people-pleasing feels so right. As a leader, people-pleasing feels so right. So a people-pleasing leader does this, leads in such a way that the leadership is pleasing those who are following. Now, you could say I'm a people-pleasing parent, or I'm a people-pleasing spouse, or I'm a people-pleasing church member, a people-pleasing deacon. In my case, God forbid that I be a people-pleasing pastor, but I know. I I struggle with it. It's not just me. I talk to my Good friend Nathan Van Horn this week, and I just read my outline to him, and he just, and I. that's when it was still called Matt's sin, <laughs> and he said, you tell him it's Nathan's sin too. It's hard when it comes to people-pleasing, because as a leader, people-pleasing feels so right. Here it is, Peter is a minister of the gospel, and he is also trying to to manage this entrusted gift that the Lord Jesus has entrusted the apostles to take this good news to the entire world. And part of it is, as we know, the good news is always just a little bit better when people are getting along. So you know what? I'll eat with the Gentiles because I know the gospel is true. But you know what? These hardliners and traditionalists that have come up from Jerusalem, I'll just tell them what they wanna hear when they get here, and I'll be able to thread this needle. As a leader, people-pleasing feels no right for a couple, so right for a couple of reasons. First, it makes people happy. People-pleasing leadership is very tempting because it makes people happy, and people like being happy, and then also, as a leader, you like making people happy because people say, you're so wonderful and you go oh that feels so good but also people peace- pleasing leadership also it provides a false peace and a false fulfillment see people pleasing leadership exactly sidesteps the issue at hand in order to maintain peace this is what peter is doing i want you to think about something Who in the early church was in better position to deal with this issue with the Jewish believers about being okay with doing church with the Gentiles? Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, or Peter, the apostle to the Jews? The answer is Peter, the apostle to the Jews. He was in best position to deal with this, but... Rather than stirring it up or something like that, he just sidestepped the issue. It provides a false peace and a false fulfillment. You can imagine. So we're at Fellowship Supper here in Antioch. Peter's been eating with the Jews. And now, again, these hardliners from Jerusalem come in. And then well, you start to hear the rumbling and you start to hear a uh, oh, I don't want to be around them. And Peter just, I'll, I'll just go sit with them. But then Barnabas goes and then the other Jews go. And then before you know it, you've got a Jewish side of the church and then you've got a Gentile side of the church. Nobody's fighting. Everybody's getting along. But there's no unity because the church has become divided because Peter in this moment was more concerned with pleasing people than he was pleasing the Lord. It provided a peace. Everybody's getting along. Yes, but the church of God has become divided. See, as a leader, people-pleasing leadership feels so right because it makes people happy. It provides a false peace and a false fulfillment. And also, people-pleasing leadership works. It absolutely works. If you want to succeed, you've got to learn how to please people, right? Well... Let's keep talking. Let's go to the second main point, which is this, is that there are at least four kinds of sinful people-pleasing. Now, I'm not going to say that all people-pleasing is bad. We'll get to that in a minute. But let's talk about a few sinful people-pleasing categories here. So there's at least four kinds. I actually initially had eight kinds, but then I was like, you know what? I don't want to do eight because I need to make the sermon a little shorter. So there's at least four, though. First, there is a self-preserving people-pleasing. A self-preserving people-pleasing. What does that mean? That is, as a leader or as the individual, you are simply pleasing people to preserve your own peace of mind and to preserve your own life. That means that you are concerned most Foremost about, number one, about yourself. And thus, you go along so that you can get along. This is avoid conflict at all costs. Because it's just easier to get along with people. Uh, John chapter 12, verses 43. We read it a few weeks ago. You may want to jot this down in your notes. John 12, 43, it says, For they, talking about the people that believed Jesus but refused to confess him because of the Pharisees, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's so convicting. They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. A self-preserving people-pleasing is saying, as a leader, I am looking out for number one. But then there's also self-advancing people-pleasing. And this is also looking out for number one, but it is far more sinister. Self-advancing people-pleasing is something else. It is essentially saying, I am a narcissistic craftsman, and I use God's people like a box of tools. That is essentially what self-advancing people-pleasing is. It is, I am going to say these things to advance my agenda to get people to do what I want them to do, and I'm doing this to get what I want done. And that's very, very sinister and selfish. But Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, there are preachers out there, there are leaders out there in the church of the living God that do exactly just that. That they preach for their own sakes and for their own glory. In fact, I'll just—I don't have it in my notes, but I'm just going to flip over there. Um, Philippians chapter one, in verse number twelve, he says, "I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really um, served to advance the gospel, so it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest." of That my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What is Paul saying? Listen, I went to jail, but you know what? God's used this for good. But then he talks about another kind of preacher. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Wait, what? But others from goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here of the defense of the gospel, and the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Gosh, Paul is such a mature Christian. (laughs) So let's think about what Paul is saying there. He is saying, listen, you know what? There's some people in the church of God. There are some people that they literally do ministry and they do the work of the gospel just to promote themselves and their own agenda. And they use the people of God as an avenue for their own personal success. Paul is saying, don't be like that person. But what's interesting here to me is this. He doesn't say, seek to shut such people down. No, he says, God will sort that out. He said... But nonetheless, Christ is preached. That is absolutely amazing. Let God be the judge and you just be about the work. He's saying here in Philippians. But it is true. There are people even amongst the people of God, even behind pulpits that will people please for the sole purpose of advancing themselves, not preserving themselves, but advancing themselves. And that's very scary. So, also, there's another kind of people-pleasing. There's self-overestimating people-pleasing. Self-overestimating people-pleasing. This point actually comes from my friend Nathan. This is not one I was going to mention. And, uh, but after he said it, I said, I know exactly what you're talking about, especially as um, a, a young pastor. Because uh, remember, I started doing this when I was 26. He started when he was 25. And we both reflect back on those early days and how wonderful it was to have all the answers. And now it's so much harder because you're just not so sure anymore. But during those days, everything was so simple and so clear because we kind of, at least in our own minds, uh, knew everything. And the danger of this, and this is one that pastors struggle with, is self-overestimating people-pleasing is this, is I can fix this. I can fix this and essentially you go and in and of yourself seek to fix the situation and end up overestimating your own ability in pleasing people I've been guilty of that I've been guilty of all these actually also the status quo people pleasing status quo people pleasing this is a dangerous one because The Lord loves unity and the Lord loves peace. But so frequently we can say, well, we're about the business of God, but really we just don't want ourselves and our friends to be uncomfortable. And so therefore we just tell people what they want to hear. And that can be a problem. By the way, people pleasing is dangerous. It's sin. Paul confronted Peter because he stood condemned meaning Peter was in the wrong Peter needed to repent towards God because Peter had created an idol out of pleasing people rather than pleasing God it was a real problem so let's go to the next thing is now I do know because I know you might be thinking wait a second so we're just not supposed to please people at all? Like we're just supposed to just speak the truth at all times? We're just supposed to just put it out there raw? Well, no. Some leaders, I will acknowledge this, don't struggle at all with people-pleasing. They don't struggle with it at all. And let me tell you about those leaders. They hurt people. They hurt people because literally they don't care. They do not care about the people of God. And they think that leadership and ministry is simply the ministry of truth. Forgetting that Jesus was not just a prophet, but he was prophet, priest, and king. And as a pastor, you are to be the under-shepherd of the Lord Jesus, but to exhibit not just the ministry of truth, but of the ministry of mercy as Jesus is a priest and also the ministry of leadership as Jesus is a king. None, None of us as a pastor and leader is going to do that perfectly. And thank God that I'm not the only leader here. But the point is, is that if you think the ministry is only the ministry of truth, you won't be a people pleaser, but you won't be a God pleaser either. Because when you look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus handled the people so gently. Yes, he ministered the truth, but it was in so much love and compassion and patience, so much so that sinners loved being around him. So if you say, well, listen, I don't don't struggle with people pleasing at all. There's a reason for that. You're mean. And don't be that way. Some leaders don't struggle at all with people pleasing at all. And they hurt people. And they also hurt people far more than they realize. Now, before I'm too hard and on this one, I've done this one too. Oh, I've done this one too thinking, oh, I just had a word. And listen, if the people would just listen to what I have to say, then we could have church. If I get these people out of the way, we could have revival. Yeah. Now, being in the ministry, I realize that God has allowed me to be amongst you, not for me to use my ministry to save you, but rather, I think, for God to use your ministry to save me. Because, friends, we all have great need for Jesus. There is a danger in people-pleasing. You can go too far to the right, so to speak, or too far to the left. So what's the solution? What's the alternative to people pleasing? Because listen, we know we live in an age, 1 Timothy 4.3, we were told in the last days, explicitly in the last days, that people will gather for themselves, teachers to tickle their ears because they won't put up the sound doctrine. People pleasing is a very, very serious problem. But the solution to people-pleasing is to answer people-pleasing. The answer to people-pleasing is the compassion of Jesus. It's Jesus. It's looking to Jesus, and his compassion leads with grace, but holds so tightly to truth. Let me read to you. You know this passage. It's John chapter 1. But John chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, let's just talk about Jesus. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. By the way, notice which word comes first, grace. It leads truth, but he's full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me for from his fullness. This is what's so amazing. The fullness of what? The fullness of grace and truth. The fullness of the God made man, that Jesus is the God man and he's full of grace and truth. And what is the combination? When you take Grace and truth, and you fill them into one person, what is the combination you get? This is so beautiful. From his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. The perfect combination of people pleasing and God pleasing is Jesus. Jesus cared about people he looked at the masses and was moved to compassion jesus cared about his disciples one of the most tender verses in all the new testament is what peter says in his letter first peter 5 verse number 7 casting all your care upon him because he cares about you compassion leads with grace but holds tightly to truth. Let's say one quick little story here and we'll close. I don't have time to read the scripture today on this verse, but if you want to find the story, it's in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. Anyway, in Acts 15, 36 through 41, it was essentially the first church split. You're like, did that really happen back then? Oh yeah, it did. And it happened amongst two apostles, between Paul and Barnabas. You all know this story. Paul and Barnabas got in a disagreement over whether or not to take John Mark on the missionary journey. John had left in the first missionary journey, and if you remember, John Mark is the cousin to Barnabas. Now, Barnabas is actually, his name was Simon, but Barnabas was his nickname because Barnabas was known as the son of, you probably know it, Encouragement. He already sounds like a blessing. Paul, I don't think anyone ever called him the son of encouragement. But you know what? He was used by God. Now, so you've got two men here. You've got Paul and you've got Barnabas. And Paul looks at John Mark and Barnabas and says, we're going on the missionary journey. And guess what? John Mark ain't going. Because he is not ready. And Barnabas says, oh, no, John Mark is going. Like, brother, the essentially... Like, we're ministers of the gospel here. Like, if the ministers can't have second chances, how in the world are we going to preach a gospel of second chances? Paraphrasing here. And Paul says, He ain't ready. We're not taking him. And Paul says, We are. Paul, uh, excuse me, Barnabas says, We are. Paul said, We're not. Back and forth. And finally, they part ways. I have a question. Who's right? Who did that right? Now, I am not a type A person, okay? Some of you are, and I'm grateful that God has sent you into my life to help me with my missing type A, all right? However, so I'm more inclined to Barnabas. I'm like, of course Barnabas was right. Paul's mean. But then at the same time, you know what? As a leader, gummit, sometimes you have to make hard decisions that people don't like. And I've lived long enough t- to realize that. So who's right? The scripture doesn't say. Here's what we know. Paul needed Barnabas, and Barnabas needed Paul. And the reason both of them made a mess of the situation is because neither one of them is Jesus. And this is why the church needs each other. Because no one is a perfect package of grace and truth people pleasing is a fatal blow but also not caring about people is also a fatal blow my prayer for you my prayer for our church my prayer for my ministry is God help me to please you to be a God pleaser first and foremost But Lord, give me a heart for people. So you know you. What's your struggle? Do you care too much? Or do you not care enough? The answer is Jesus, help me see people like you do. And give me a heart like you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be with my friends. Lord, I pray you would allow us to think about these things in your name. Amen.